three, two, one. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Let's Dig In podcast. I'm your host, Chef Rich Rosendell. Uh, in today's episode, episode number 52, we have a very special guest joining us, Chef Corey Siegel, an award-winning five-time international gold medalist and my Comey teammate for Boku's Door 2013. Uh, not just an accomplished chef, Corey has emerged as a social media influencer, making waves on platforms like Instagram, TikTok. In this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into Corey's journey into the world of social media, discussing how his approach uh, to his platforms like Instagram and TikTok has evolved, and also what exciting projects that he has lined up next. Uh, Get ready for an insightful conversation filled with tips for aspiring chefs, social media enthusiasts, and everyone in between. Stay excited, stay inspired, and as always, let's dig in. Also, everyone, I wanted to introduce... Uh, a new voice to the Let's Dig In podcast. We're going to be joined by our new co-host, Ian Navarro. He's a good friend. I've known him for several years. He's worked at three of North America's uh, fastest growing food distribution brands. Uh, And he also has played a big role in connecting chefs with great products and ingredients. Uh, He really knows a lot of people in the industry, and I'm excited. I know he's going to add a lot of really great insight into the show. So please join me in welcoming our new co-host, Ian Navarro. Before we dive into today's episode, a big shout out to the brands that make the Let's Dig In podcast possible. First of all, Dry Ager, elevating every chef's meat game with their unparalleled dry aging technology, achieving impeccable taste and texture every single time we use the Dry Ager. We use it for all our dry aged steaks duck, charcuterie, you name it, even fish is gaining popularity uh, across the country. Uh, Also, wearing commercial, the heartbeat of professional kitchens, providing efficiency and reliability that chefs around the world swear by. Uh, We use it extensively, uh, especially in our R3 kitchen, our fully electric hoodless kitchen that we just opened up, uh, all powered uh, with electric and wearing played a huge role in the opening of that restaurant. Also, we have Steel Light International setting the stage for memorable meals with their exquisite tabletop solutions, a blend of style and substance. And I got to tell you, they have some of the best service in the industry. Uh, They're great in trying to find the solution that works for your particular brand. And they always find unique looks and everything that they carry is just top-notch quality. Also, Ovention Oven, revolutionizing the culinary creations with innovative designs and impeccable efficiency, ensuring every dish is a masterpiece with their ovens. They are also hoodless. I almost consider them smart ovens. These things are incredible. You can do pizzas, sandwiches, fries. You don't need a hood, and they get up to very high temperatures. Uh, You don't have to worry about having them um, underneath a traditional hood, which makes it a lot less expensive. Or if you have to put a kitchen in a space that otherwise would be difficult to do so, you're definitely going to want to check out these Ovention ovens. Without further ado, let's dig in with Corey Siegel. There's a lot of different things that we can uh, talk about. Obviously, uh, for you and I, I wanted to kind of start off a little bit talking about Team USA and uh, some of the Boku's door stuff. Uh, but also you're you're into a lot of different things. I know seeing you doing some talks with like food technology. Uh, you're very active on, on on social media. But I thought before we dive into any of those subjects, let's uh, maybe just kind of give everybody that that doesn't know um, about you, just kind of give a little bit of an overview about who you are and uh, and what you do. Yeah. So, man, I've I've lived a lot of different lives, and and you know that. Um, Early on, was super interested in cooking competitions and went to the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, same day I graduated, I moved down to the Greenbrier in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, uh, where I got to learn multitude of different areas of competition and actually work with yourself. And uh, one of the funniest stories I love to tell people is when I approached you and I was like, hey, chef, I want to do this competition. And uh, it's like this through the ACF and it's going to be this, that and that. And you turned around and said, hey, would you want to do a competition with me? And for me, that was just like, uh, yeah, sign me up. I you know, no idea that it was going to be the Boku store and what that was going to mean uh, all those years later. 
Uh, but that's a, a funny story there. That's right. Uh, and then, you know, kind of bounced around some different country clubs. And uh, for the last seven years, I've been an electronics professional working mostly with uh, technology in the kitchen, how to change people's lives and food operations uh, kind of towards the future. And on top of that, doing a lot of social media, food content creation videos and uh, just continuing to build the brand and and uh, work with a lot of awesome people. Awesome. I do remember uh, it's kind of it's kind of wild, you know, looking back in those Greenbrier years, because all of you have kind of like all grown up. And I mean, obviously, you're still so young, but, you know, I can still remember like you and Drew and Antoine and, you know, all those guys at, at you know, it was a different phase in, in the runway of your life and your career. And uh, it's cool uh, to have uh, been part of that and uh, to see what you're doing now. So. Well, let's uh, kind of dive into this. And obviously, Ian, I mean, feel free to uh, interject. And I'm just going to kind of wrote some questions down that I thought might be relevant. But by all means, and Corey, if there's something that you want to spend more time on, you just let us know. But uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, you um, obviously you went on to do the culinary team after that. How do you not even just the uh, U.S. culinary team, but also with Boku Store? How do you feel like that's kind of shaped your uh it influenced like your career, not necessarily just like your cooking, but like your, your career. Cause I, I know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, everybody kind of gets to that phase in their culinary journey of like maybe doing, uh, I guess I kind of consider as like extracurricular uh, outside of work where yes, you have this job, you work all these hours, but then you yeah. kind of dive into doing a cooking competition, which is a hell of a lot of work, but how has that stuff kind of shaped like your, your career and influenced it? So I think one of the most important things when you talk about shaping a career is you have to have a goal. If you don't have a goal in a heading and a direction, you're never going to get anywhere close to that thing you're trying to achieve. And for me, I had a really great mentor when I was in high school who told me about some of these different competitions. And he said, you know, when you're uh, 21, that's eight years from now, you're going to try out for Culinary Team USA and you're going to be the youngest to ever make it. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty, pretty cool. I have no idea what that means, what it's going to take, any of that. And uh, he suggested I should start at the best culinary school and go to the Culinary Institute of America. So when I was there, I told everybody like, hey, I want to be on Team USA. I want to be on Team USA. And uh, they suggested, well, maybe you should go do your internship under the team manager. So I looked up Chef Ed Leonard and I went and did my internship at Westchester Country Club. While I was there, I told everybody, I want to be on Team USA, want to be on Team USA. They said, well, if you're really serious about this, you need to go work at the Greenbrier. And by the way, there's this guy, Rich Rosendale there. He's a total badass. And you you kind of remind me of some qualities of him. And if you have any shot at doing this, like you need to go work for him. Done. So as I mentioned earlier, the same day I graduated, I moved down to West Virginia and started working under you and doing the three-year apprenticeship program there curveball to this whole goal <laughs> uh when you know you asked me if I, i'd be your comi for boku store which i had no idea about this whole other parallel and this whole other international competition uh and that was the craziest two years of my life that literally <laughs> changed my life uh getting to work with you know some of the best chefs in the world and getting to compete and represent your country on that level all for me was like a training to then finally make it to this Team USA practice as like a 20-year-old kid trying to do this. And I did the tryouts, got a gold medal, and at 21 became the youngest ever to make culinary Team USA. And just the idea of being hyper-focused on that goal alone gave me this kind of roadmap to go after and hit these steps and all these incredible things happen on the way. I mean, <laughs> to even call the Boku's door an incredible thing that happened. I mean, literally a life-changing event, uh, right. but then to go on and do these other competitions from there, those competitions teach you so much about uh, discipline, uh, getting inside your creative psyche, reaching down into, into those things and looking what's on the cutting board and how do you, uh, how do you, manipulate this in a sense of looking very attractive, being super delicious, and then being able to scale it and do that for volume. And then you take those concepts and now bring them to restaurants or catering events or anything else you're doing. 
And uh, it all just kind of falls into line from there. Very I think cool. one of the inter interesting tidbits that, that I heard out of that was that you vocalized that you wanted to do something, right? And you let it be known inside of the kitchens. And, you know, it, in a sense, it's a form of networking and uh, letting people know what your goals are. And um, right now we're at a time in, in life where reaching people via LinkedIn or Instagram, right, to pick their brain or, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. So for anyone that's aspiring to um, kind of change their career or or further their career, really, I would, you know, say kind of be vulnerable and and just ask, hey, I'd love to learn how you got to where you are. And this is where I want to get get to, you know, what what advice would you give me? And when you when you ask people, well, generally will tell you and, you know, they will open up doors and it's pretty amazing once you let it be known that, hey, I'm trying to achieve this. Can you help me? And uh, a joke uh, at where I graduated from uh, Ole Miss, it was uh, it's not the grades you make, it's the hands you shake. And um, <laughs> that university really transformed my life because it really gave me an opportunity to network um, with people from all over the country and, um Really, it's it's who you know that's going to change your career, and it sounds like, uh, you know, through meeting Rich and and your endeavors too, it's really transformed the way in your path, and, um, and that's super cool. Yeah, and totally, you know, being vulnerable and and asking the right people, um, you know, hey, how did you do that? And people want to invest in you in return, and also that idea of manifesting. You know, saying out loud, telling everybody, you know, uh, Gary V tells everybody he knows that he's going to buy the, the New York Jets one day. Um, I tell everybody I know that one day I'm going to cook for John Mayer. Like, hopefully it's going to happen one day. And and it's just like that's somebody that I respect on a high level. And sometimes people laugh. Oh, why do you want to cook for him? And it's like he's like the ultimate musician of our time right now. And to be able to cook for somebody of that caliber and be around people of that caliber also just resonates uh, and it's something different outside of the culinary world and, and being surrounded by these great people and, and going after things. And, and sometimes those things, you know, getting to cook for a celebrity is this kind of like secret world. And unless you go after that and tell everybody, you know, and try to break into that, there, there's another book uh, talks about the, the third door and go in through that other way. Like it's never going to happen. So you have to be kind of relentless about making those things happen and uh, try and try and also give back the same investment that people are giving to you. You know, also too, I take two things away and it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, another mentor, uh, Peter Timmons. And, and I, I repeat this, but I ultimately had heard from him that you, the, the people always kind of wonder about like what really kind of shapes like your trajectory and your future the most. And a lot of people point to like, oh, well, this is what happened to me. Or they kind of, they point to a lot of the circumstances that surround them, but really it's the decisions that you make and you making, um, you making the uh, uh, decision to come to the Greenbrier really I mean, it changed. It was a game changer for you. But I wanted to kind of point out one thing that you you mentioned, uh, really two things. One of them is the decisions that you make ultimately have the biggest uh, impact, I think, on the traje trajectory as far as like what you end up doing and you kind of coming down to the Greenbrier. And the other thing that you mentioned is also like having a vision for your goal. And I, I always remember like a lot of times kind of envisioning like the things that I wanted to do before they ever happened. Like we talked about if you remember like how the momentum that we got kind of caught up in this whirlwind of excitement of we were going to be driving, we were, we were driving that big box truck in downtown <laughs> New York. And we're like, we're going to build a kitchen in the the, the bunker and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're in, and Thomas Keller and Danielle and all these guys are going to come to the green bar to the kitchen and they're going to meet all the apprentices and all that stuff kind of happened. But it all a lot of this stuff was kind of manifested from like conversations we were having on the way back to uh, West West Virginia, you know, which was right, pretty, right. pretty amazing. You you did the same thing at a lot of phases in your career of being on Culinary Team USA and going to the Greenbrier uh, and, and doing the apprenticeship and getting into competitions but that, you know, it's the decisions. And a lot of people always want to point to the circumstances, but there you have a lot more involvement in, in this this movie, this story than uh than you think. Yeah. And I think there's a lot about the vulnerability aspect as well. And 
and going after, you know, putting yourself out there, showing that you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, that kind of another thing there with that vulnerability came true for me. Uh, after I did the Culinary Olympics, the next round, uh, there were some issues with the pastry chef. Um, and I think uh, that maybe they they dropped off or, or whatever the challenge was. And they reached out to one of our buddies, Andy, to be the pastry chef. And he was like, hey, we only have like, I think it was six weeks before the competition. He's like, I can't do all this by myself now. So he called me and was like, hey, do you want to be the pastry chef with me? And we'll work on the whole cold table display. And I'm like, Andy, I don't, I know very little about pastry, but let, let's go for it. And, you know, just really took that risk and being able to utilize, you know, the base knowledge and translate that into different shapes or, or techniques and ended up getting a silver medal on the international stage of something that I was totally uncomfortable with six weeks prior to the competition. But, you know, if I would have said no, I wouldn't have had that exposure, that opportunity to work with these great pastry chefs and, and ultimately, you know, come back with a medal. Corey, like since Boku store, how would you say that like your, and I kind of point, I mean, obviously you've done a lot of different things, but since that whole world of like culinary competitions, um, how would you say that like your style and inspirations have, have evolved? Because now, you know, I see a lot of, obviously you do a lot of traveling, which is, which is pretty cool, but I also see a lot of your uh, social media activity, you know, all these really more, I think probably approachable dishes and stuff like that. But how, totally. how have things kind of evolved for you over the years uh, as far as like your style of cooking? Yeah, I, I think from my that whole trajectory of learning food competitions, trying to stand on the the podium on the world stage, a lot of that food is very crafted, very manipulated. It's um in a sense architecture first and then flavor second, and, and you go from there. Uh now a lot of what I'm trying to do on social media and if I'm cooking an event or something like that. I, I want things to be approachable. I want somebody to eat it and, want, and go, whoa, like close their eyes or whatever, make some kind of expression that that was incredible. That was the best, whatever taco I ever had in my life and putting that, that love into the flavor development. And then secondly, Hey, can I put a fun twist on this? Can I put it on a cool stand? Can I shape it a little differently, but really just making it translatable to whoever's going to eat it and make sure ultimately they go, whoa, that was amazing. How do you come up with some of the dishes that you're doing for social media? Do you cook a lot at home? Um, do you do stuff that you kind of make at home a lot? Or do you kind of pick items that are kind of like one-offs that you you want to try? Yeah. So I, I never cook at home. Uh, you know, <laughs> always always being on the road a lot and, and doing stuff. Uh, I never cook when I'm home. I eat out a lot. Uh, but the dishes that I try and do are things that I I think if you are having friends over, I actually put out a like a digital cookbook. It's it's free on a website. Uh, it's just like CoreySiegelbook.com or CoreyBSiegelbook.com. Uh, but when you have friends over, these are things that are easy to make that you can cook for them that you get that same reaction. Whoa, these are super tasty. Oh, I didn't know it was going to be this easy to make. Uh, but they're also very impressive. So finding that like wow factor, uh, even like a, like a challah bread or something. Like it's a braided bread, but so many people just stop at like making a, a brioche or like a sourdough when all you have to do is this like threefold braid and it just blows people's mind. Like, whoa, how'd you do that? So cool. And then literally the sense of breaking bread with somebody and being able to share a meal. Uh, so that's a lot of the videos I'm trying to do now. Stuff that looks delicious. Uh, you want to share with friends and would want to stop and go, man, I could make that. Let me cook that. Uh, Ian, have you seen his... Uh aerial dive uh the bowls and stuff like that have you ever dropped <laughs> no. anything chef i i have i actually uh did an instagram reel. Glass. well uh yeah it was it was glass <laughs> that oh. was the only one that i ever dropped so yeah uh, <laughs> of course you know, people people ask me a lot like in the videos like who throws you the bowls or who throws you this and i literally just throw it in the air and catch it but you crop it like as the bowl's falling oh really okay to, yeah and i try and look at the camera so it, it's like just kind of falling into my hands 
And, uh, you know, I've done probably, I don't know, 50 to a hundred videos now, never dropped anything. And the first time I throw a, a glass bowl, you know, I like throw it in the air and I'm looking at the camera and it just completely misses my hands and shatters into a million pieces. And if you like slow the video down, my face is like, Ugh! and, and like, you could see like glass, like bouncing off my face. And I, I was like, okay, I probably shouldn't throw things anymore that are breakable. You know, the, so I, I do like that you did that because, um, I feel like with, social media too, as far as like people trying to get like a successful campaign or to get a style, a style on their page, something you gotta, I don't know, you gotta do something that's like, oh, you're, this is how, this is what you do. And, uh, but I was curious. I was like, dude, is that his neighbor or <laughs> his, you know, girlfriend or what, you know, I didn't know who it was. It was kind of dropping the stuff from, but now we know. So you're just throwing it up there and, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's the secret. So how long uh, is one of those reels take? Thank you. Okay. An easy one. Breads, any, any doughs that have to rise take forever. You know, just a fermented pizza dough could take four to six hours. Wow. Um, but let's say a video I did the other day of just like a watermelon peach salad with like some burrata. Um, filming, you're talking, filming, gathering the, okay, it's not even that. It starts at brainstorming, right? So, okay, here's what I want to make. Here's the ingredients, kind of looking through your notes. Here's some things I know. Put together a base recipe, scale everything out, get all your me's ready, set up your camera, your lighting, your microphones, get everything ready to roll. And then you film the video. That portion's about, let's say, two hours for an easy one. And then to edit, that's anywhere from an hour to two hours. Because uh, And I do all the editing on my phone. But yeah, you're talking just like, hey, I'm totally set up. I'm going to hit record to a finished product anywhere from four to six hours. And wow. not including any of the other stuff. And so, yeah, people see this like 30 second video of some bulls flying and he made this little salad and, and uh, it's, yeah, it takes tons of time and energy to do that. And there's like an emotional uh, balance that comes with it because you want every video to crush. You want every video to get a million views. And um, some of them do really well. I did a Nutella banana bread that on TikTok had 5 million views. And then I have some videos on TikTok that have like 400 views and I put the same amount of work into both those videos. So sometimes you're like, you get this momentum and then you get it a flop. And a lot of it's just due to the algorithm. For some reason, it stopped sharing or, or yeah, maybe it wasn't good content, whatever. But yeah, it's this emotional roller coaster of, yeah, I'm crushing it. This is awesome. Oh man, I should totally stop doing this. Nobody likes the videos. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. No, no, no. I need to stop. It's just a, a wild ride. Yeah, what about, you know, you mentioned Gary V earlier, and he talks about the ROI of a basketball to LeBron James is, you know, billions of dollars and the cell phone uh, or an iPhone, Android to an influencer is equally as good, right? So for an aspiring um, sous chef or home cook that really wants to start creating reels or TikTok, are there any tips, tricks that, that you've kind of picked up along the way that, that you would pass along? Yeah. So I think there's, there's two lanes there. There's the, how to make videos aspect and then that how to monetize from that aspect, the, how to make videos part, you need a hook. So let's leave out YouTube because that's an, a completely different ball game. But the most important part on YouTube is that your thumbnail, somebody has to click on your video. If they don't click on that thumbnail, then they're not even, you don't even have a chance of them watching any of your video. But if we just stick to like Instagram and TikTok. You have like three seconds to capture somebody's attention before they move on. So I, I call it like the, the one, two, three sizzle. It's like just totally made up name. But if you watch my videos, it's always like a close up of the food kind of zooming in and then a cut in so you can see the middle and then maybe somebody trying it or like another bite, like showing the texture of the food, um, really getting them to stop. You have to get them to stop that scrolling. And then I use one second increments for everything. Sometimes it's less, but no more than one second for each clip uh, to keep it kind of fast and moving. And then each clip has some moving motion. So you have this like subconscious. Uh, so some of these like, yeah, it looks like I have this whole film crew and it's just me uh, just because you can add on that little effect of moving it in. Um, so that part, but then you also have to have like quality um, quality in the sense of your content, your content has to be engaging. The food has to look amazing. It has to be that something people want to share. People want to give a try. Um, but then how do you step that up? 
Well, you need a good camera, good lighting, good microphone, and you can get great basic kits. But so many people now have access to all of that stuff. So now it's where do you start to differentiate yourself? Just like Rich was saying. And for me, one of those things is just the dropping of the bowls. Like people know, oh, that's the guy that drops the bowls all the time or drops stuff. And you have um, our buddy Alex, Subchef. He's a pizza and wing guy. Uh, Max the meat guy says right in his name. He, he does stuff with big cuts of meat. Um, so trying to get those views, those are like things that I like to look at. And then separately, how do you monetize? Because you could have, uh, let's say a hundred thousand followers on these platforms, but if you're, you're not going to make money off of views, um, on Instagram reels, they had a bonus program for a little bit where you got paid a couple hundred bucks, unless you were mega, then you made thousands. Um, but if you have like a hundred thousand followers, you're not getting money from people just watching it. And now I said separate from Instagram or uh, YouTube, because YouTube has that whole ad platform and you can make a lot of money that way. But then you need to look at that business aspect and say, how do you do this for a living? And that's kind of where I'm at right now, where I've, I've started to build this following but now, okay, is there a subscription program? So I give all the recipes away for free. And that's really great for people to share and save. But now if you can funnel them into a subscription program where you're giving them all this, you know, and it's not just how do I get people to pay money for my stuff? It's you have to provide them value that makes them want to take out their wallet and spend that money on you. Uh, so now, okay, I give you a few recipes, but now to get the premium recipes, you come and do the subscription. You can get these recipes or uh, some kind of newsletters. Like what can you do on top of that? Uh, creating your own products, whether it's uh, food products, merchandise, things like that. And then there's advertising. Can you go to a blog? There's so many different levels. And then you have, even when you look at this, and I'm kind of just going on this whole ramp, but it's so fascinating that there's so many levels. Um, some of these massive YouTube creators, like your two channels of income are, are let's say three. If you make your own book from that following, your ad revenue, and then if you have uh, something that you're you're pushing them to, maybe it's some kind of spice or whatnot. But they're not like, or or maybe a brand deal. But a lot of these, a lot of the bigger creators aren't even doing brand deals because they're making more in ad revenue than having to associate themselves with a brand. But someone like myself, uh, smaller in this creator stage, I'm really interested in working with these brands. So I'm actively reaching out to these brand partners and trying to make connections uh, to be able to do videos. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, you definitely see a lot of people now where if you ask them like what they want to do, uh, especially like younger people, there's like completely different career options now a lot of them in the influencer space and, and uh, you know, but I mean, it's, it, it it's a completely different um, paradigm as far as like, you know, how you approach things and you're still working. I mean, I think, you know, we, I, I know from like doing a lot of uh, our cooking classes and a lot of social media, the one thing that people, I don't think they realize, and you really just kind of mentioned it is that there is a lot of work still in content creation. It's not like just, I mean, if some people are really good at doing it, capturing and documenting and and that's kind of their thing but if you're putting together like recipes and editing it's not just minutes i mean it is hours to put something together if you're putting together really good um really good content yeah and, and i had the opportunity to talk with joshua weissman he's one of the biggest food youtube creators and one of the biggest thing he said to me was like you need to have like nothing about it is easy like you have to have that same restaurant energy. You're still going to work those 12 to 18 hours, but right. now you're, you're making food videos instead of working on a hotline, putting out tickets of food for people. So just shifting all that creative energy, that, that business energy, all of that, but now into these videos and yeah, still working 12 to 18 hours a day to, to constantly put out this content. And then, you know, sometimes people just like maybe hit the like, maybe don't. And one of the funny, one of the funniest things I like to do with people is I'm very fortunate. It's very cool that this can even be a career that you can right. make food content videos. Uh, and then, so, you know, I put hours and tons of energy into this and then people I work with or people I see, go, Hey man, I love the videos you're creating. They're so awesome. And I'm like, Oh, you know, thank you for that nice comment you left. It really meant a lot. And I just watched their face like, Oh, did, 
oh, I don't remember leaving a content or like leaving a comment. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And they they kind of like, I don't know, start to feel bad or whatever. But it's just kind of like <laughs> funny because they're they're so um, they're so excited to tell you in person how much they love what you're doing. But they don't share that same excitement. They don't take that time and share that same excitement on the social channel, which is the right. part that can actually help you. Right. Uh, so I kind of say, hey, yeah, next time if you can leave that comment, you know, it really helps. Or if you can share it, like that's crucial to this growing and working. And it's just a funny, funny dynamic. Do you just use your phone or do you actually use like a, a Canon or some kind of camera? I, I wish. Uh, so I started using my phone and then I bought a light set and then I bought like a little lapel microphone to do voiceovers. And then I bought a new camera and the the quality was like 10x i was like whoa okay i'm using my this camera now then i bought a new lens for that camera and that went another 10x like the lens is actually more important than the body of the camera like if you're super you know geeky into the the back end of the camera then like a sony a7 has all these like filters and presets and color grading and things you can do on there uh but for me just changing that lens to the sigma art lens it like completely i mean it gives you this like this this bokeh or bokeh where you have that blur effect in the background and that depth of field and the yeah. clarity and the colors like everything was just so you know spent the money on that and then it, you keep uh it's something uh actually uh called the diderot effect and where you just keep going like oh well now i have this nice camera so i need better lighting so it works with this this lens better so you buy the 300 light kit oh well now i have great lighting but uh, my sound's not as as good. So now I need to buy the wireless mic kit. So I have the lapel on me and then I need the boom mic. So it's collecting the sound. So I've like went from doing this on an iPhone to now having like an entire professional studio kit of stuff. That's interesting because, you know, we were uh, <clears throat> we were at Forklift the other day and we were pulling some stuff out of the uh, audio visual drawer. And uh, I had a, there was some cameras in there. And, and at the time they were really nice, expensive cameras. And now I'm kind of like, uh, look at these dinosaurs, you know, it's yeah. like but, but, you know, they, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just looking at like uh, AI generated uh, content and uh, the, how the phones, the stuff that's out there, but it's interesting. I I'll have to um, I'll have to explore some different lenses and I'm, I'm always interested to kind of give it a try, but, you know, definitely whatever it is, even if it is a, an old camera, a new camera, a different kind of phone, a filter. The point is, is you're trying to do something that's going to differentiate your content from somebody else's. And it's whatever, whatever fits your, your brand DNA. You know, it might be somebody, some people might film stuff and kind of have a certain kind of filter that they use, but it's like, you know, it's all, I guess it's kind of all part of kind of creating your look. Yeah. And, and I think one of the most important things about growing your brand on social media is you have to provide value to people. So when we say the quality of the content, your content has to be truthful in the sense that people feel comfortable with you. They believe what you're saying, but also you're providing value to them, giving them a reason to follow the other stuff of like higher video quality, higher audio. That's like the cherry on top, but you can have this amazing setup and you're sitting there, I don't know, whatever. And it's terrible. You're like, I'm going to cook you this steak and you cut it and then you just put it in the microwave and uh, start eating it like that's not captivating content that's going to make somebody want to follow you tell other people about it um it, it may go viral for other reasons because people are like this guy put a steak in the microwave like look at this jokester um but or the, the toaster yeah yeah exactly um but the that quality of the content as in the value that you're providing to people is the most important Corey, you've uh, you know you experienced a lot of really cool um, experiences and and success in your in your career. What were some unexpected challenges that you faced in the culinary world, and and how did you overcome overcome those? I I think so. One of the biggest challenges in the culinary world is that uh, the the culinary industry has always been a very toxic environment in the sense of it's it's always been related to kind of like an army uh you know let's yell at people to motivate them uh kind of a you suck mentality throughout the whole industry and we look at people like Gordon Ramsay there's an entire show about you know that that personality and like he's actually a super nice guy in in, in real life 
um, that Marco Pierre White kind of stories. Oh man, you know, they stabbed a guy. Anthony Bourdain talks about yeah. it in his book. The guy kept like poking him and he turned around and stabbed him with the meat fork. And it was like this kind of like your pirates, it's survival. It's, um, and so when I was young and, and I took my first like sous chef job, um, that was kind of the only way I knew how to motivate people was like yell at them and tell them they suck and uh, tell, you know, show them why I'm better than them and these different things. Not that I learned these things from you, of course. (laughs) Um, But understanding, you know, I had a a great friend of mine that was helping me do some of my competition work, like practicing, scaling everything out, making some crackers. And uh, she was like, show me this stuff. And it's like two or four in the morning, something like that. And I like look at her and I was like, what, like, what are you even doing? These are terrible. These suck. Like, you know, blah, blah, just like screaming at her. And she's like, literally like staying up all night to help me do this thing for free, just to help me do better. And she said, you know, the only thing you can give somebody that you can't take back. And I'm like, what? And she said, that's your time. And I don't know if I could swear on here, but she said, you're fucking wasting mine. And that really like shook me. That really woke me up. And I was like, whoa, you know, maybe I'm not the best person. Maybe I'm not this great leader that I think I am. And I had to start reading a lot of books, um, watching, you know, listening to podcasts, taking courses on how to listen to people and actually care about what they're saying, how to uh, talk to people, understand more about what they're doing, um, the vulnerability, like Brene Brown, all these different things to like try and be a better person and lead in a totally different way. And I think that was one probably the biggest challenge in the culinary world was like overcoming that and trying to shift that mentality. Absolutely. I mean, I know uh, I think about how I grew up in the industry as well, even, even before you. And I mean, you just couldn't act like what I experienced people today. They'd be like, what the hell's wrong with this person? Or, you know, throw you in jail. I mean, you just, you can't act like that um, anymore. And it's kind of crazy. Uh, that that was kind of the norm for so long. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of move into a little bit of like food technology. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be technology, but I would assume that this might be something that you might comment on because I've seen some of your other earlier conversations with people. I'm curious, like what food trends or equipment or techniques do you find kind of exciting and innovative today? I know you're you're out there traveling all over the world. Uh, you're obviously with uh, your uh, with the company, you know, I'm sure you're involved in a lot of like new technologies and stuff, but is there anything that you, that really kind of piques your interest, anything that you're really kind of excited about that you feel like there's still a lot of uh runway for the, for the growth of? Totally. I mean, automation is the biggest thing in the industry right now. Um, a lot of, you ask anybody in our industry right now, and they will tell you they don't have enough um, cooks or people to fill their roster. They don't have enough people that they need. So a lot of people fear technology as, oh, these things are going to take jobs away, but we can't even find the people to work these jobs right now because sometimes the culinary industry is not that glamorous. It can be super rewarding, but it's a lot of hard, a lot of hard manual work. And with a lot of this automation, um, you're able to fulfill a lot of those steps. Uh, some of those things being, uh, I just saw Oh, what's the salad company? It's a salad company in New York. Sweet uh, Greens. Actually, Sweet Greens. There you go. And Daniel Balud is working with them. And the whole store is completely automated, right? So you order on a kiosk and then they have depositors that go down, drop everything into a bowl. And here you go. Um, you just really need somebody to refill that. So instead of needing 10 people to run the store, now you need like two or three to run that operation. There's things like uh, pizza vending machines. So it holds as a freezer and it's a pizza inside of the box and then it goes up through this like conveyor system like heats the pizza puts it back in the box and uh you know literally pops out like you were getting some cheetos or something uh even just simple like conveyor belt ovens you know, that's some pizza shops have used forever uh one of the cool things i saw years ago was cuisine solutions big sous vide company as you know um partnered with uh like turbo chef and they we're cooking the proteins. So now you could order pre pre sous vide proteins. Now you just pop them in this like high speed oven and you can put it out. So you're just pushing a button and you don't need to know how to properly cook the steak, properly cook that pork loin. Uh, you can just push a button. So having people that 
didn't go four years of culinary school or do apprenticeships and things like that can cook things perfectly every time. Uh, combi. That's ovens. how we do a lot of the stuff at, um, R3 actually. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I, I always, I, I kind of tell, um, some of the chefs there too. It's like, you know, unless you're trained how to put food out in this kitchen, a lot of people would come in and they, uh, chefs traditionally trained chefs, they would have no idea how to put an order out because it's just a completely different, um, technique, but you were saying also, uh, combi ovens as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so something like a combi oven, that, that same concept you're talking about, uh, these ovens can, you know, they have a water hookup and a boiler system so they can, uh, proof breads, bake breads, smoke and do barbecue, uh, sous vide cooking, grilling meats, you name it that with the airflow and, and all these different things you can do. So instead of needing this huge line of a grill, a flat top, a fryer, uh, you can utilize a lot of that stuff just in this oven, uh, pressure braising pan is like something, it's a giant Instapot. It's something that I work with a lot with Electrolux Professional. And uh, most people know an Instapot for like a one gallon. If you have a big one at home and we have a 45 gallon. And the whole idea of that pressure cooker is cooking things like 50 to 75% faster. And you don't have to stir them. It's that kind of crock pot idea. You dump it all in, you shut the lid, you know, in two hours, you have beautiful pulled pork that would have taken you eight to 10 hours or or four to eight, whatever. Uh, so many things like that. I mean, and then that's not even talking about robotics and robotics right now, uh, especially in the coffee industry is huge. Uh, so at the, the NRA show a few months ago, there's like, same thing. You order your latte. Uh, there there's a few, there's one called Artly and this one, you order your latte and the robot actually mimics. So it'll steam the milk and the, it actually mimics the pour. So you can still get your beautiful flower or your swan or whatever. So it's, it's identical to what you would get at an arson coffee shop and it's perfect every time. Uh, and then you have another one that's a bit more, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but not, a, not as artsy in that sense of like, you know, people go to a coffee shop, pay their $7 coffee. Cause like you want the little flower in your thing, right? And you you want to see somebody make that for you and, and their artistry. Uh, this other machine I saw, you order at the kiosk, it takes the cup, it goes under what's called the grind and brew machine. So it basically pushes the button, it grinds the beans, goes down, makes your espresso, uh, steams the milk in it, and then foams it to the top. And then it moves it over to a printer that so you can pick whatever image you want. You could take a picture of your face or you can make it say whatever you want. And then it has a little edible ink printer that prints on the top of that foam. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like an Instagrammable thing to get your coffee. Uh, and it's it's a different. And a lot of these things have been around, but now everything's getting put together in this full automation. Uh, even Japan, I mean, I think I think Japan is so far ahead of everybody. Like uh, you go to 7-Eleven. And 7-Eleven over there is like a luxury grocery store. And there's a frozen uh, frozen fruit in the freezer in this like little plastic cup. And you go up and it has a barcode on it. And you scan the barcode. You take the top off and you put it in. It adds in soy milk, blends it kind of like a little Paco jet, comes back up, and then it takes it out. So now you have a fresh fruit smoothie that took zero skill from anybody. And I think it was like $3 or something. Maybe not even. It was relatively inexpensive. You know, the uh, we recently just had the last day of school for our kids, and uh, my neighbor and I jumped in the golf cart and drove up and threw water balloons. It's a tradition here oh, nice. to throw water balloons at the kids when they're getting off the bus on the last day of school. But anyway, on the way back, we started talking a little bit about, um, you know, inflation and stuff like that. And as you were talking about, you know, the price of um, a smoothie, a fresh smoothie being like three bucks or whatever – and then you look at like uh, what Danielle's involved in with like uh, spice and sweet greens and those entrees at spice, I think they were like seven bucks or something. They're really cheap, but you hear everybody talk about inflation, but I would almost submit a, an alternative um, ripple effect. And that's deflation mm. where the uh, services become so um, inexpensive because we're we're doing all this like automation that it's actually hard to keep the price of stuff up. So you look at like uh, AI and if it can kind of generate all this media and then you have or you have somebody out there that says like, hey, I write movies. This is what I write. 
well, how do you keep the price of a, somebody that is a, a writer, how do you keep that price up? Or if somebody can generate photography, how can you keep that price up? If you can go and have driverless cars, how do you keep that price up? So actually, there could be kind of a, a different play here where you could actually see deflation uh, as opposed to inflation. Um, and it's really kind of it's it's I think it's super possible, um, especially whenever you're talking about that. I mean, you could probably go into that 7-Eleven and eventually have no one in there. You know, it's right. basically just, you know, you don't even need uh, people to even be working in there. It's it's well, crazy. And look at the the Amazon stores. Yeah. Right? You just scan, you scan in, you sign in somehow, you go in, you take whatever you want and you leave and it charges to your account. So now you have fresh smoothies in there. You have kind of food reheating devices and, you know, it's just all self-run. Um, Corey, I know we're kind of getting down into the last uh, um, quarter here. Um, a couple of things. I wanted to know if you're still buying stock because for a <laughs> while there we, uh, we we were we were kind of exchanging texts and stuff like that, and all I was all excited about buying. I think Shopify was one of the big ones. Oh uh, man, if I would have held Shopify and uh, Nvidia when you told me to in like I don't know 2013, yeah, uh, I'd be I'd be a rich man. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I sold it, you know, like it went up like a dollar, and I was like, I made twenty bucks. I'm cashing out. Yeah, sometimes Ian, we I would take a picture of like the line at Starbucks at the airport, and I would text it to Corey. <laughs> I'd be like, "Yep, looking good here." You know, it'd be like a big long line, and just because we owned a little bit of stock, like, "Yeah, I'm just checking on one of the stores." Yeah, you know, like, yeah, we would joke joke <laughs> like that. Yeah, just went in to check on how my stores were doing. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and Corey, what you know, we ate at so many amazing places when we were doing the Boku store. Um, Obviously, all the chefs out there, like Eleven Madison Park and and Grant and Danielle and at the French Laundry, they they always like just cook these like incredible meals and everything was always taken care of and stuff like that. Any of the ones that you would say, uh, and it doesn't even have to be that, but is there any of the like most memorable meals that you've had? Uh, maybe it's even just in your recent travels. Anything that really stands out as like one of your favorites? I mean, uh, man, my all-time favorite meal happened during that period, and uh, it was actually at restaurant Paul Bocuse. And what made it so funny and special is uh, when we went over there, I think it was in October, a few months before the competition, we uh, we went, or maybe it was maybe it was the time of, it doesn't matter. But so we went over, and like the first night we were there, we, we had dinner at restaurant Paul Bocuse, and it blew my mind. I mean, table side desserts that you were surrounded by these like uh, Tornado's Rossini, like steaks with foie gras and truffles on them. And I mean, every like thing I've ever read about in like classic French cooking was right there before my eyes and just executed at the highest level. And it was like kind of like a carnival, like they're they're coming out and like playing these like music boxes. It was just it was beautiful. And then so the next day, uh, you know, Chef Paul Bocuse pulled up and Gavin Kaysen, who was our, our coach at the time. Uh, they're, they're chit chatting and Gavin comes back and go, Oh, what'd he say? He said, Oh, he asked where we're having dinner tonight. And, uh, we told him we already had dinner at, at your restaurant. Uh, and he said, Whoa, that's great. You'll come back tonight. And uh, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, this, then we ended up going back to restaurant Paul Bocuse that evening. And, uh, I remember we walked up and, you know, he's standing there at the door, like waiting to greet us in right. and just that level of hospitality and, and then he actually came and sat down with us at the table. And uh, I mean, I can literally tell you, it's probably one of the only meals of my life. I can tell you every single course that I had, uh, like who was at the table, like everything. I, I just remember all of it. And uh, it was just so special. And that was probably the most amazing food memory I've had. And, and I mean, they could go on, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then I think like a day later, something like that, we were so fortunate to actually go to Daniel Balud's parents' house. And yes. uh, have a lunch prepared by his mother, and we were outside, like looking at figs with his father, and he showed us the the ham, the prosciutto that he had, like hanging in the the garage, and some of his pickles. And I mean, that was the most like insane, like couldn't make up that that happened. <laughs> it was like, like, yeah, and and like um, Paul Bocuse restaurant. When you go there to eat, I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine like how many calories it is for eating oh, there, and that's thousands. supposed to be like, yeah. it's supposed to be like. A once in a lifetime and we had it on like a tuesday and a wednesday yeah. consecutively <laughs> so that was uh oh my god that was that was uh incredible yeah that was unreal 
So, um, Corey, anything else that um, you want to cover? You can think of anything that we left out. Um, and, and I'd love to know where, where can people find out um, more about uh, your social media and your, and your travel, if you can share that as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, no, this has been super engaging, uh, a lot of fun stories and, and reminiscing and, and some fun conversations about the the future of food. Uh, if anybody wants to stay in touch or kind of follow along my journey, all my social media handles are Corey B. Siegel. And uh, I have that free cookbook as well. If anybody wants some free recipes, I think it's CoreySiegelBook.com. There could be a B in there. Give both a try. Uh, but yeah, you know, appreciate you having me on and uh, excited to keep in touch with everyone. Yeah, we, we definitely will. And I, and I know recently too, you, you've just, uh, <clears throat> you just had a, um, uh, kind of a memorial service for, uh, somebody that was a, a good friend, uh, particularly, especially with you, with Kendall Ross, who, who we lost, uh, this year too, too soon. And, um, he was a lot of, I, I was like to kind of just remember, um, the memories of, of, uh, somebody whenever because and you know you you just never know like when somebody's like not going to be with you again but wanted to thank you for uh holding that special um service to kind of celebrate his his life uh he you know we definitely are gonna we're definitely gonna miss him and um you know it, it you just gotta you always gotta make time to to talk with people and and to say hi and to check in on people you care about because you know life just goes by so fast and you just you just never know um, you know, you might not see somebody again. So it's always important to to do that. But he was an amazing chef and we're gonna we'll dedicate this uh this show to to him. Um yeah, and uh Ian, want to thank you for for joining us. And uh I still think it's so crazy. Like life is so cyclical. The fact that you know you were at the Boku's door. And whoever would have thought years ago, you know, we're all here on a podcast having this conversation. And it's just, it's, it's pretty crazy. Well, it's uh, right behind you. It says food, inspiration, and adventure. And I think that's <laughs> that journey. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Corey, uh, don't uh, drop any glass bowls, use stainless <laughs> steel bowls. And uh, I'm looking forward. You have anything uh, cool that we need to be looking for? Any new recipes you're excited about? throwing down on oh yeah i mean you know ones. you know my uh my tagline is stay excited so yeah uh, i'm always excited about what's next to come yeah keep following on the social channels there's some cool collaborations coming up and uh just fun things it's only gonna grow so awesome, stay along for the ride all right man we love you man take care cool. love Good you guys too. You. see it yeah bye bye Everybody, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Corey Siegel. I can't believe we're at number 52. So cool. Uh, but thanks to all of the sponsors, all of the viewers. And hey, if you want to see some of our past episodes, you can go to our YouTube channel, Rosendell Collective. There you can see the video version of the shows. Please like and subscribe. Uh, also, you can listen to the podcast everywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. We're on all sorts of different platforms. And please give us a follow and like and subscribe as well. And we'll see you next time. Any suggestions for future shows, content that you want to learn about, please feel free to reach out to us. We're on social media. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and we love learning in this process and networking with all these incredible uh, people that we bring on the show. Uh, you know, I'm always looking at it as I'm always the student and I love learning and I know you do too. So we'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.